0: Listen, I'm a all right what's up everybody welcome to the fight against mediocrity podcast today's guest is marley jacks she is a globally recognized expert in video creation youtube growth and content strategy she's been featured in the media for her inspiring approach to what she has termed one content creation to differentiate her style from the 99% of content that is bland, boring, and uninspired, as well as for directing and producing the documentary, I Got Cancelled and Did It to Myself. Her roster of clients include legendary thought leaders such as Christy, Code Red, Alex Sharfin, Damon John, and Steven Larson. She shared the stage alongside Russell Brunson, Tony Robbins, Tim Bilyeu, and Frank Kern. Welcome, Marley
1: hello, the fight against mediocrity. That is something that I can stand behind. I love
0: it. Yes. I figured you would. I figured yeah. you would. So uh, hopping right into it, disruptive content. So to mm-hmm. so for context, I always like to say how I met or know the person on the podcast. And your story is kind of cool because I was living in Mexico. My wife and I lived in Mexico the last uh, eight or nine months. We just moved to North Carolina. While well, oh. I was in Mexico, um, I'd go out and like, you know, the benefit is it's always sunny. We lived in Cancun. So I'm laying out by the pool. Um And I always listen to like some sort of self-development. So I hop on YouTube and one of your or YouTube or Facebook in your video, I just got canceled, came up and I was like, <laughs> what, what, like what happened? And so I started watching it. And needless to say, I was like, my wife's like, Hey, we got to. I think we had to go do something or whatever. I'm like, I have to figure out what happens in this documentary. <laughs> like I have to figure it out and then it was cool because a few months ago we met in person at uh Russell Brunson's um research center groundbreaking so really yeah. cool and I actually want to talk about that disruptive content what does that oh. mean and why is that such a core to you and your brand
1: well i love that you've seen the documentary because that was like that was the beginning of it all that was the uh the origin story of disruptive content for me the year prior i was trying to put out like quantity of content to try to get bigger, grow a bigger audience. I'd been working on YouTube for five years at that point and was like, why am I so stagnant? Like, do I just need to create more? And there is some truth to like, yes, quantity brings quality. So however quality I would say is more important. Like you look at someone like Mr. Beast, Mark Grover, some of the biggest YouTubers, they'll put out a video once a month and like, they don't even necessarily need to have a regular schedule. Just people know that they have a reputation for having such great content that people will jump to it when it comes But for me, I was just like burning out on creating content. I was so I was bored of what everyone was doing, what all the examples were, all these formulas that were proven, but stagnant. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I took a break from content for a while. And, um, you know, I like when people talk about like, what did you, what what did you want to do as a kid? Cause often that like what you want to be when you grow up, when you were a kid, turns into like your hobbies or what you, what you actually end up doing. And when I was a kid, I always wanted to make movies. And I was like, well, what if instead of me making these how-to videos that we see everyone else making that I treat my YouTube channel as if it was like my Hollywood. And so I, um, at the beginning of January, I assembled a team and like, I have the best, I think I have the best production team outside of Hollywood, just such incredible, talented people. And we were like, you know, I, I researched like how many channels actually reach a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube and only 1% do. So that became kind of the, the mantra of like, we do what the 1% do, what the 99% are not willing to do. And so we, I started looking at like, okay, well, what would the opposite be? What did the 99% do? Well, the 99% are eager to fit in. Fitting in is failing. Uh, they are playing it safe. Playing it safe is risky. They're avoiding criticism. Avoiding criticism is boring. I love the book um, Purple Cow from Seth Godin. He's like people who have projects that are never criticized are the ones who ultimately fail. The people don't rave about ordinary. Like we don't we don't care about status yeah. quo. And so I was like, how do I do just the most bold, audacious thing with this first piece of disruptive content? And we came up with the idea of canceling myself. How do we, could we do an experiment speaking about cancel culture? Cause it's a topic that is quite cultural. People are, you know, triggered by it <laughs> and uh, people are jumped to to jump on drama. And so we wanted to make this documentary that I don't know if I should spoil it. There's a major plot twist don't, at the end. Don't spoil <laughs> it.
0: Yeah, don't spoil yeah. it because I want people to go watch it. Yeah,
1: me too. But I'll just say there's a major plot twist at the end. Yeah. So that will make people want to stay to the end. Um, and uh if people saw it happening in there there's like two reactions there's the people that saw that just the documentary on its own and then there's the people that saw the documentary when we were filming it and uh it turned into quite the publicity stunt and uh we had people that loved it and we had people that hated it, but it was funny that, I mean, it made them both sides talk about it and are still talking about it mm-hmm. a month later. So that's a great example of disruptive content, that it's not something just that just drowns in the algorithms. It's something that people are still talking about months and years later.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, there's Dan Kennedy says, if um you haven't made someone mad before noon, you're not marketing hard enough. huh. And yeah, um, <laughs> I've heard Darren Hardy say, this is what really shaped it for me. Darren Hardy once said that the president of the United States may only win 51% of the votes, meaning that 49% of the people he's leading either don't like him or didn't vote for him or something. So you can never Mm be, you know, um, you can never be liked by anybody if you want to do something significant in this world. I mean, even Jesus, right? Like, did
1: yeah,
0: great example. So. Um, have you ever read the book? 16 word sales letter?
1: Nope. I'm going to write it down. (laughs) It's
0: really, it's a really short read. It's a really good book, but, um, in there, it's actually phenomenal. I can't remember who recommended it to me, but he talks about how the human brain is puts things in buckets. Mm. And if something's familiar, then we just automatically put it in that bucket so that we can just go along with our life and not have too much disruption. And so when you're sending it's specifically about emails, but when you're sending emails, if it's just they they immediately know like oh it's just about this they'll just skip over it skip over it so that's why I love what you're doing so much and uh, so you said something um, really important you said it was just your gut right your mm-hmm. gut instinct was man this is it's stagnant something's wrong and so nobody told you no there wasn't a course or a program or a coach who's like you should do a cancel culture video it's just your gut your intuition how important is it as an entrepreneur to follow your intuition and how do you recognize that?
1: Oh, that's a cool question. Um, I mean, I think we all intuition is like a muscle. Like the more you use it, the more you'll, the more you, I think have that capacity. Um, and yes, logic and data is so important, but then from there to, you know, be like, how does this actually feel? And what could I do to, to switch things up in a way that, you know, is non-obvious is unpredictable. And so, yeah, for me, I was like, I've been in this like content hamster wheel and it feels like every time I do something that steps outside of the comfort zone or outside of the status quo, it's scary, but it always pays off for me. Like there's always that, you know, that reptilian part of your brain. That's like, no, we want to keep your brain is designed to keep you safe. But I think your brain also has that intuition that if you follow that, that's where like on the other side of that resistance is where the gift is.
0: Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um I asked that because historically for me personally it's been very much like well what does insert whatever thought leader you know we all follow mm. and what does this person say I should do at this step and I realized that you can only get so far until you have to be like well what do I think I should do
1: mm-hmm. what's
0: the unique thing that I'm going to do so I thought that was really cool that you just Shifted from what everyone else was doing and did that. Um, So, one more question on this this topic. So, you're consulting someone. Maybe it's a new business owner. Maybe they're a more mature business owner, and they're wondering how do I um, create one percent content. What's mm-hmm. your advice to them?
1: Yeah. So we have we have many different kind of frameworks that we use, but ultimately it also comes down to creating your own. And so we do this thing called content personality syncing, where we look at, well, what's your business? Well, obviously reverse engineer the outcome that it's not disruption for the sake of disruption. We're actually leading towards something that moves the needle in our economy, our business, our audience. Um, And then also syncing it with the personality. Cause just cause video is my favorite platform. We have clients that are totally killing it on Twitter or on a podcast. And it's like, well, let's, let's make that disruptive and make you the best in your industry, the icon of your industry through that platform. Um, So first it's like, it's like tearing apart, you know, who are you? What's the origin story? What, who's the enemy? What's the current noise in that industry that we can ride? Because there's, there's already noise. There's already something that is sucking up the reserve of attention and we don't have to go create attention. We can hijack attention. So it's often like, a lot of interviewing to pull out the message and then coming up with the path by like researching what's currently happening that, uh, yeah, like I said, we can hijack
0: because you, and you mentioned something, you have to have an enemy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Why is that so important?
1: You know, we were talking about this, um, with, uh, there was a, a charity that we were working with and, I'll, I'll name like a cherry that we were uh, using as an example, Operation Underground Railroad. Like they have become so big in the last few years, obviously the recent movie that came out. And um, it, it's very easy to see why just in dissecting their strategy, like they have a very clear enemy that then their audience can get behind their, their donors can get behind to be like, we have to protect our children from these predators, this enemy that, you know, and, it, and, and, and then with this charity that we were working with, they were like, yeah, we're going to raise money for this good cause and yay. And it's going to be help these people, which is great. It's an incredible charity. They do amazing work, but there was no enemy that we could actually fight against. Like people want to feel like we are yes, doing good, but we're also diminishing the bad that there is something to fight against and fight for. Um, and it, it was a great example to show polar opposites in like just how many donors and how successful they are um and i yeah i just think intuitively also i don't know it primal instincts are like we need to protect something defend against something like you think about just caveman days like they they had that It, it like I'm trying to find the words for, it. I've never had to explain it like this before, but those primal instincts and urges that like, I'm going to defend my territory and do what's best for my people.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Position um, The leader. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, you brought Dan Henry into, uh, <laughs> your documentary. And yeah. uh Dan Henry's very much a person where you either love him or hate him. Like sure. and he he's very good at that.
1: It does well for him.
0: <laughs> he does, and he he's gone on this thing where he roasts people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen it. And yes. so I saw at last uh funnel hacking live just barely. I saw him and I'm like, I have a couple of questions, but I know he's gonna roast me. And so mm-hmm. I was like scared for a second. I'm like, uh, nah, what the heck? I'll just like I'll yeah. get roasted. And so I asked him the question, like, how do you stand out when so many people are doing what you're doing? And, uh, that's basically what he said. He's like, what do you hate? Mm. Like, what's the enemy? Yeah. Um, and I mistakenly said like, what's my pet peeve? And he's like, don't ever say that word again. Like it Ah. needs to be stronger than that. Like it, right. Anyway, so that really stuck with me and I'm glad I got roasted by him because I'll never forget that.
1: That's Um, so powerful. Yeah. And even like that kind of strong emotional reaction, people don't take action until they feel something. So if it's lukewarm, if it's mediocre, just like you said, it's familiar. They'll just be like, okay, whatever, put it in the familiar box. But when it gets the strong reaction, that's when people remember things. I even say this to our clients or even to my team. Like when you look at a piece of your work, whether it's Something you wrote, or a video, or even just how you performed in a meeting. Do you look back on that and have a strong, strong emotional reaction yourself? To be like, I nailed it. That was a banger. I'm so proud of that. My past and my future self will be proud of that. I kind of call it like the future self test. Um, Did it give me an emotional reaction, or was it just like, yeah, I checked a box?
0: Yeah, and you're you're all about disruption, so I feel like this is why we're on this this topic (laughs) a little bit more. So how does how does someone know? Is it always just invented? You know, Steve Jobs is really good at inventing an enemy, right? Dell was the enemy. Microsoft was the enemy. It mm-hmm. was very, very much so invented. Um, but how does a business owner or a thought leader know, like, this is my enemy, this is this is my fight? Is there, you know, some some questions you can go through or is it or is it invented, or what do you teach your clients? Could-
1: Yeah, it could be both. There could be a very obvious enemy or it could be like we just have have to put a name to that because for me, disruptive content, you could, if I didn't position it properly, it could just be we're just trying to make better content. But we know the difference between like an improvement offer versus a new opportunity or opportunity switch. We have to make it an opportunity switch by presenting the enemy as like obscurity. The before and after of disruptive content is either like you're stagnant, you're mediocre, you're lost in obscurity, you're drowning in the algorithms versus people can't stop talking about you. You are, you're creating iconic, constantly talked about content. We don't want to be obscure. We're not the 99%. We're not in status, We are allergic to status quo. And so creating that kind of language, it's been so cool to even see the audience see those polar opposites and start using that language too. And that's when you know that you've, you've hit on something when the audience starts using that language, even without you having to keep spreading it, your audience starts spreading it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. You mentioned something, you said future self. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a big Benjamin Hardy-
1: Uh-huh, I have his book right in front of me.
0: And uh, since Funnel Hacking Live, I've been diving into a lot of his yeah. books. 10X is Easier Than 2X, Willpower Doesn't Work, all those. Um, And I know you're a big Benjamin Hardy uh, fan. Definitely. So um, how has the concept 10X is Easier Than 2X transformed your business? Ugh. So I bought a
1: hundred copies of that book (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm like literally a hundred copies and I give it to everyone I know, even strangers. And I'm like, this will, this book will change your life. That is, it's not a must read It is a must read multiple times a year, because even you read it after time has passed. And like you read it from a new lens, you've become a different person. There's something he said too recently about when you go after impossible goals, no week is ever going to look the same. And look how we live our lives as entrepreneurs too. Like we're sure, there's some routines and structure, but also I like people, I also think about like what got me here won't get me there to go after impossible goals. Likely nothing that I'm doing right now is going to get me to those impossible goals. So I'm constantly thinking about like, okay, what if it, whatever the 10 X is, what's the 80, 20, the 20% that I focus on and the 80% that I have to leave behind that is no longer me and to get to that 10 X. And I, it's really cool to see the evidence of how many times we've done in our life already to 10 X a goal that it's not just doing more of what we're currently doing. It's actually like qualitative shifts in our lives. Like for me, even, I mean, I like his example of like when you go from crawling to walking, that is a 10 X. Um, when I, I am from Canada, when I moved from Canada to the United States, that was a 10 X, um, even things that can be, uh, hard challenging in your life. Like when I went through a divorce, obviously devastating time, like really challenging in my life, but on the other side was a 10 X. And so it's really cool to think about whatever the next 10 X is. It's like, I'm going to completely change as a person in my mindset, in my routines. And I I try to even, okay. So this week, even, um, I woke up one morning and I was like, what would I normally do right now? I'm going to do something completely different. Okay, normally I'd get up and I'd probably like check my phone and, you know, get some get some water and then maybe go straight to my computer. Instead, I'm not going to look at my phone and I went on a 45 minute walk and while I walked, I was talking to my recorder and like processing ideas and brainstorming. And I, that was like the best day I've had in the in the last you know few weeks that I, I just had such inspiring ideas and I shifted my routine. It felt amazing. And you also think about like time horizon. Have you heard the concept of like time horizons?
0: A little bit, but explain it.
1: Yeah, it's and I, I don't know if I can explain it that well, but it's something like when you are in routine, kind of like you said, when things are familiar, you just like put it in the familiar box, like it's mm. just whatever chicks out away. If everything is too familiar in your life, your time like goes by so fast.
0: Yeah. I but have when heard you that.
1: when you do like new things and you disrupt your patterns and routines, like time can actually slow down. Ben Hardy actually has another book called um slipstream time hacking he he like doesn't it was his very first book and for some reason it was the first book that i found of his but before even his many others yeah i like went to the original i guess um and he talks about just this really genius he's actually going to rewrite it um but this concept of like, when you are doing lots of things and when you're shifting up your routine, time can actually slow down. You can like feel like in your life, cause it says, um, time is measured, not by distance traveled, but by time elapsed. So I could live 30 years and person B can live 30 years. But if I've done more in my 30 years, I've lived more in my 30 years than this other person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm going through all of his books, and I'm like, man, he's been. I've slept on all of us have slept on, uh, Dr. Hardy because he's he's rocking the world. But that's what's so cool about it is, he really built it up in silence, and now, I feel like who not Mm -hmm. how and gap in the gain were good, but I feel like 10x is easier than 2x is really, like, blowing it up. So
1: yes, I can't win, and now it's like anything he does like he's had he has that reputation now of anything he does we need to jump on it because it has such a good reputation it's going to change our lives I can't wait to see what yeah. the next things he does
0: here's an interesting so I just hosted a mastermind in uh, Nashville and that was one of the themes was 10x is easier, easier than 2x and one of the questions was how do you know it's the right 10x school or how do you know and this is more of maybe opinion than like this is the way, but I want your opinion on how do you know it's a right 10x goal? And how do you know it's a good 10x goal?
1: I mean, probably if it scares you, you know, when people say if your goals aren't don't scare you, they aren't big enough. Um, But also, I'd say if, uh, if you don't know how to achieve them, like you're not supposed to know how to achieve impossible goals, because then that means you're operating from your past self instead of requiring your future self and if you're religious too like i heard a mentor that i have talking about he had two pathways he could go and he's like i could go this pathway which is like easy it's you know safer i've done it before i know i can do it again or i can go to path number 2 that i have no idea how i'm going to do it i have no it it's so scary it it's risky i haven't done this before and it's going to require God to to get there. And it's like, well, then isn't the answer obvious? Which one should you do?
0: Yeah, oh, I love that. Um, So in your entrepreneurial journey, um, I just recently found out about you. I mean, when really when I watched the cancel culture video, um, but as I've watched more of your content, more of your videos, it's been cool to see your growth and correct me if I'm wrong, but it really started, you know, as a social media, um, marketing manager. Right. And then as you grew, you know, you went through all the typical growing pains of an entrepreneur and I'd like to touch on those a little bit. Yeah. What were some of, what are some of the most important lessons, um, you learned as you grew from solopreneur to entrepreneur to, you know, scaling your business that if you could go back and like shake younger Marley and be like, don't make these mistakes, what would those be?
1: Yeah, I remember like leaving my nine to five, being so terrified, leaving the safety of someone else signing my own paychecks, which then that got flipped on its head in 2020 because I was a dental hygienist. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, all the dental hygienists like, well, I guess they were essential workers later, but we didn't have jobs like what no one expected that to happen in the economy, but entrepreneurs who had clients and could adapt and even had the mindset of being adaptable could continue. Um, so that, yeah, that was like a big mindset shift of like, don't worry about the safety of someone signing your own paychecks. Like I wish I would have left earlier because it was one of those like burn the boats things. As soon as I left, it opened up more opportunity. I could get more clients. I could, you know, grow and and reach new revenue levels that I hadn't before. Um, then I'd say like the next, one of the next biggest mindset shifts or shifts, things that I had to learn was, um. I joined Alex Sharfin's program. He teaches a lot about like building a team and strategic direction. And I like, absolutely, I love Alex so much. And I learned so much about, well, I did some, I did everything as a solopreneur. I can scale if I start bringing on team, if you don't have enough time and you need more team. Um, and so then shifting from being a solopreneur to now a leader was a, a big move. But I think I like let go of the reins too fast. And I like hired these people feeling like, oh, I, you know, I'll hire a COO and I'll hire a salesperson. And then I like lost touch on the business. And for months we just like had no sales and I was like, well, okay, you guys just have to get better. But at one point I was like, I was in debt. I couldn't couldn't keep everything afloat anymore so I had to let go of everyone and I got back on sales calls and guess what happened like things went up again because I was actually communicating with my clients to understand their pain points their needs and shift my offer to it like the very basic of marketing is being in a relationship with someone and caring enough about them to help them solve their problems and I was like oh I have this team now And I'm supposed to be a visionary and like separate myself. That's not true. I think at every stage of your business, you need to be in communication with your customers to understand what they need and, uh, and be able to serve them in their exact needs. And also just that I did not have a pulse on our numbers. I didn't move fast enough to be like, Oh, sales are slipping. What the, is it me? Is it the team? Is it the leadership? Is it our message? Um, so that was like one of the hardest times because I was in a lot of debt from that mistake and I was also dumping so much money into Facebook ads without validating the offer <laughs> and then having a salesperson that we hadn't validated the offer to try to sell so um that was a that was a huge one um yeah and just from there like always knowing your numbers and uh just being being faster and like cutting costs, cutting expenses, shifting the team as needed so that you always have a level of like profit and cushion in your bank account instead of like, oh, it's okay. I just believe in myself. We'll make it up next month. Like, nope, I Mm -hmm. was very naive of me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, that's like the naivety is what oftentimes gets us to become an entrepreneur, I feel like, because Mm -hmm. if we really knew what we're getting ourselves into, we might second guess it. But Mm -hmm. I agree with you and uh, have definitely seen that in my own business. Like the optimism, like it'll all work out doesn't really work for just
1: one um, funnel away
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah um speaking of marketing um what's it like you know dating being with steve j larson what is that that what is he like that uh that we don't know that he doesn't tell us what what is what is that like
1: Oh, he's just the best. Um, I feel very lucky that we found each other, especially like we both we both went through divorces around the same time, and then uh, both went through. We became friends in our healing from divorce, and uh and then just came together. We have we have actually has a video on his YouTube channel of how we came together in our relationship, and it's it's fun to think about. Um, he is the most intelligent, which that is not surprising but also emotionally intelligent person I have ever met and he he's just he's in his zone of genius all the time and I really admire about him that he um he has really strong boundaries around protecting his his time his capacity his genius and sometimes that might come across like he's a hermit <laughs> um but he's just like he, he has huge problems to solve in this world. And it's really cool to, to watch him be a part of it. And then also obviously see the home side of him, the, the, the father side of him with, with our girls. And, um, and I just, I learned so much being with him, like what a cool mastermind to be a part of just this little two person in our home, just, mm-hmm. we call it the proverbial weight room that when we first got together, we obviously reflecting on our, our previous relationships, um, we know that we are different as entrepreneurs we know that we are very growth oriented and that can be threatening for someone that isn't and was i think a a a problem in our previous relationships and so we knew coming into it that like that was going to be such a foundation for us that we knew that we were constantly going to grow we would never be the same person that we were when we first started dating to even like months or years later And we will keep, we're like committed to keep re-meeting each other at those levels. And the iron sharpens iron kind of growth where he can be growing off in his area. And I'm over here like making movies and it's separate, but we come together to support each other in it and, um, and create a place of safety and growth that that's like the biggest priority. Like you talk about, um, uh, what do you call it? deal breakers in relationships. Like our deal breaker would be like, if we got in the way of each other's growth, because like, we know that it's so important to us. And so we, um, yeah, we really like, just really support each other in growing together. And I've never had that before in a relationship.
0: No, it's fun seeing your guys's dynamic and growth and, uh, definitely like power couple of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship space. So that's Thank cool. You. Um, you mentioned something about Steve and also about yourself that I find really interesting that I don't, for whatever reason, just doesn't get talked about enough. I think, um, you talked about how for you, you took some time alone to just walk and record your thoughts. Yeah. And then Steve is very, um, guarding of his time when he's in his zone of genius and just solving problems. And then as I was preparing for this podcast, I saw, um, I think you said like, you can't be a thought leader if you don't take time to think, mm. um, um, and so, but that never gets talked about. It's, you know, work harder, go, 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 do more sales, go, go, go. Like, and then you, sometimes when you talk about, like, hey, well, you know, take a break, take the weekends off, like, take a, take a second to unplug and, and refocus, you almost get looked at like, eh, are you sure? Like, that's not really the entrepreneurship thing to do. Like, well, yeah, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, you're naive. Like, you just got to work harder. But uh, I found that not to be the case. And so I want to get your thoughts on, you know, being in a flow state and taking time alone to have a blank canvas and reinvent, reinvent what you're doing in your business. How important has that been for you?
1: Extremely, but it did not come easy because I, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs grow up with this, like you have to work, look at the, you know, the generation that our parents came from and their parents came from like my, my grandfather, and I actually lived with my grandfather for about four or five years when he was in his late eighties, I helped take care of him and he would constantly save everything. Like every single yogurt container, like we had piles of them. Like they were under his bed and I had to like take them out and hide them and throw them away without him noticing. Or else he'd be like, no, don't take that, I have to save it. Like back then they, you know, they were in scarcity and they had to work really hard to earn their living. And then that gets passed down to our parents and our parents grow up with this, I have to work really hard so that I can support my family. And that my parents, you know, it's also this like productivity-based self-worth that the industrial age placed on us. And then that gets passed down to us. So for me, it was like, you have to work before you earn your play, before you can rest. Well, how does that affect an entrepreneur growing up that then we're like, I can't stop working I have to hustle before I can play and then that play never comes because the work is never done Hmm. and at some point you're just destined to burn out and so I've burnt out multiple times in that pattern in that cycle and um, had to like go through multiple rounds of even hearing like hey Rest and play first so that you can bring your best to your work. And it's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I don't believe you. I'll do it later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll finish this and then I'll play. I have I have rarely gone on a vacation where I wasn't working. And I'm actually going on vacation next week. And I'm like, this is it. Like, this is for sure the time. And I actually teased my team. I'm like, you're gonna have a hard time getting a hold of me. Like this is I actually feel ready and excited for it. Um, but you know, my past self would have been like, oh my gosh, is everything going to break and what's on fire? Like I need to check in. And if I let go of my phone for an hour, the sky will fall. Um, But even in just these little glimpses in just my personal therapy development work that I've done over the last year, I see the evidence that when I take time to think and breathe, my best work comes from it. And um, I've also just learned about my own personality. Um, I love, you know, Enneagram and human design and all the things that can, you know, help me learn a little bit more about myself. I know some people are skeptical about it, but it's been a really cool tool for me. One of the things I learned about myself is I'm a a mental projector, meaning that like I learn the most and I can process my ideas by me speaking. Other people might just like, they'll feel it out. They'll, they'll be able to just think through something. They'll feel it in their gut. They'll feel it in their heart. For me, I have to talk. And so that's almost been like a part of my routine ever since I started doing that uh, routine the other day. But I'm like, I'm going to do this forever. I'll, I love going for the walk and just like talking to myself. And it's kind of funny that I'm talking mm-hmm. to myself, but I record it. And then, um, I, I like recording it on Otter. So it automatically transcribes it mm-hmm. so then I can read through it. And I'm like, that's a piece of content right there. Or mm-hmm. I need to tell that to my team or that was a really, oh, I have to remember to you know tell Steven that let's plan for that later. Um, so it's been a really cool way of uh, me, you know, learning more about myself and and realizing that actually the more space I give myself, that's how you become a visionary. I heard this thing about Steve Jobs the other day that, um, and even, you can hear this from like David Goggins. When David Goggins sets a goal, he then creates the environment that's going to support that goal. Um, there's a story from Steve Jobs that someone like got in his car and was like, oh my gosh, like what happened? You've been robbed. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, your stereo. It's not like it's been pulled out. He goes, yeah, I pulled it out. Why don't you do that? Well, because I have a 45 minute drive to and from work. And if I have the stereo, like I'll listen to music instead of think about Apple. And so I thought about that for me. How do I create these environments for myself where I give myself time to think and create it almost like a like a habit loop that I love how that feels. The cue is I wake up in the morning, go outside, and you know I still have my phone on uh, do not disturb whatever, and just turn on the recorder. And that gives me the dopamine hit th- that is equivalent to maybe me scrolling on social media, but that one actually feels better and creates more long-term results. Um, that I really like, actually, yeah. no, I actually now don't remember the original question, but that was a fun little tangent to go on. No, that,
0: that was it. It was, uh, why, why is it so important to take time to think, to think and not right. be hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. And, uh, you know, they talk about it in 10X is easier than 2X, having free days, right? Yeah. Um,
1: that gave me anxiety the first time I read mm-hmm. it, though. I was like, "What? No. how? A free day? What am I supposed to do? Just sit? I'll have to at least putter around the house or do something productive.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> rework that.
0: And uh, do you take free days on the weekends? Or when When do you plan in your free days? Or how do you do that now that you learned about it?
1: Yeah. And sometimes... Sometimes I'll like to do some like creative work on the weekends because yeah. there's no meetings and no one is reaching out to me, although it's very easy to put on on do not disturb, but I'll take for sure, like at least one day where it's like, I don't even touch my phone. I mean, sure. I'll touch my phone, but like no messages, yeah. no, no work, no slack. Um, but, but, and then I, I love it. And then by Monday, I'm like, I want to do that more. Oh, dang. I have meetings today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no. know. I read a book. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was called. But basically, they did this huge study on, you know, taking a bre- break, um, taking a rest from your work. And they said that when you stop working, when you stop focusing on your work consciously, your unconscious is still working on those problems. Mm. And so that's why they said, basically, that's why when people are in the shower, and they have these like, aha moments, yeah. it's because your unconscious is working on those problems, and just pops in the idea When when it's there and ready, so.
1: Yeah, um, I always get my best ideas in the shower, while driving, or like in those moments right before falling asleep.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like
1: when you've let your guard down. You think that you're just relaxing. You finally turn off and relax. Boom, there it is. So, what if you? force those days into your environment where you're like, okay, at least every Sunday off, maybe a morning every, every few days too. And then on the vacation, yeah, you might struggle with the vacation for the first like two days and then it'll be the best three days of your life.
0: Yeah. For me, it's helped been helpful to, instead of calling it like a free day or a mm-hmm. rest day, I call it a rejuvenation day because in my mm-hmm. mind, I can think, well, I'm just rejuvenating to be, to be in my best state for when I get back on stage or when I, yeah, and on Monday or whatever, Bill uh, Gates
1: goes on Think Weeks. That's a cool way to call it too.
0: Yeah, um, which is crazy to me that we can make excuses and be like, "Well, I don't have time" or whatever, and then Bill Gates will take a full week with a bag of books and and go do a yeah. thing Week. So, oh. um, cool. We spent a bunch of time on that. Um, wrapping up here, a few more questions. I'm curious. So you've you've been in the space a while. And one of the things that I see most new entrepreneurs struggle with is like their avatar and their niche Mm. for whatever reason. And I think it's partially just like choosing and deciding, and maybe you've seen differently, but what advice do you have for new entrepreneurs deciding their avatar and their niche?
1: Your avatar is likely to be the before picture of you, like who you were three months ago, three years ago, whatever Point in time um and your audience wants your current reality and so your offer is that like epiphany bridge that hopeful transformation um so I think about that for myself with what I with what I'm doing with disruptive content I'm like oh yeah the before picture of me was like bored to tears my content feeling stagnant like I was you know status quo and maybe wouldn't call myself status quo at that time but um you, realize, you start, I use that language and now they realize like, oh no, I've been following these patterns that have put me here. It's not your fault. It's your, You just didn't know this. Um, and sometimes it's not like there's people that um, will create a business based on something that someone close to them experienced. Like sometimes it'll be you know, someone that is helping people overcome a health issue because they helped their parent or their loved one overcome that health issue. Mm-hmm. So it's still something that has modeled part of uh, who they were in the past and then yeah the niche is like i think people also get um they fall into a comfort zone when it comes to their niche that they actually shoot lower than um, than they really need to like so for example entrepreneurs who help entrepreneurs sometimes they'll help the newbie entrepreneur because they're like oh i've i'm far from being a newbie i'll help the the beginner guy which is great like it's Mm -hmm. totally great to help the 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 beginner, the newbie, but they actually have strategies that if they just like elevated their sites, they could speak to the scaling entrepreneur or the established entrepreneur. And when you look at, I heard this strategy from Mariah Kosh, she calls it the champagne client. She talks about how all of our clients, instead of like a value ladder, it's like a client continuum that we have the level one clients and the level 10 clients. The level one clients, let's say that's the entrepreneur newbie. The level 10 client is the established entrepreneur who's like multi seven figures champagne client because they have champagne problems. Like they can throw money at their problems. And instead of speaking to level one clients, if you speak to level 10, your level 10 clients will be inspired by that. Your level one clients can be called to rise up to level 10 and be inspired by the content. But if you speak to level one content for the entrepreneur newbie, the level 10 champagne client will never be inspired by that and you'll lose them. So um well, I always think about that of like, it's almost the impossible too, like speaking to a level that might even intimidate you because then it actually calls you to rise up in your content and, um, and to be constantly growing. Cause if you're always speaking to the past self, like too far back, I think it can hinder your own growth and creativity.
0: That's powerful. I've never heard anyone explain that.
1: I think that's one of the first times I've explained that. So I'm glad it came out. All right.
0: <laughs> no, that was powerful because in my, it's, uh, I mean, I, the phrase that I like what you said so much is it, if you talk to the level one, it'll never inspire the, inspire the level 10, but even more so than that, it won't inspire you to rise Holy. to the next level.
1: Look at, I mean, my story of like, I was so bored <laughs> of my own content and if you're not inspired. It's hard to be inspiring. Like if you don't the same thing of like the future self test, if you don't look at your own work and say, wow, no one else will.
0: Yeah. Amen. Cool. we're wrapping this up. Um, we didn't get to talk about a lot of stuff that I was hoping to (laughs) uh, (laughs) do it again. And yeah, we'll have to do it again. In preparation for this, I watched your video of how you overcame cancer. And I was like, I did not know any of that. So that would be fun topic to talk about. I do have one question (laughs) though. When I watched that, I'm like, Dang, I got to get a water filter. Uh huh. Do you guys have one of the water filters that you like connect underneath your kitchen sink or whatever? Or what do you recommend?
1: So I, I don't currently. I do want to get a full house system because you're also bathing in it, washing your yeah. produce in it, whatever. Um, we currently right now just have a Berkey, and we have all of the attachments for the Berkey that, um, like the fluoride filter, the arsenic. There is arsenic in our water. Like it's just it's infuriating. People should yeah. go to Go to ewg.org/tapwater. Put your uh your post your postcode, if you're Canadian, no, put your zip code in there and it will show you all of the chemicals that are in your water. And after you get up from fainting from how disgusting it is, go buy a water filter. The one I have is a Berkey um, and it's just like on top of the counter, but yeah, getting the the system that tap like plugs into your water uh, system or a whole house system pff, there, it is really upsetting and infuriating to see how many people are getting sick and it's just it's in our water or hormones in our food. Like I have three girls and I, I'm like girls are getting their their periods younger and younger because of what's in our water and in our food. And that's just I mean I'm only scratching the surface. It's,
0: yeah, no, it's
1: it's a rabbit hole and it's really infuriating.
0: It was like a 30 minute video if for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about, go watch it. Um long story short, you found out you had cancer instead of having the surgery you were, you healed yourself the natural way of changing your food, changing your lifestyle.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, I 100% believe in all that. I mean, you think about these big food companies, they're not sitting there thinking, mm-hmm. how can we make our clients healthier? They're thinking, how can we sell more stuff? So yeah. it's all about the money. Anyways, don't, yeah, yeah let's not.
1: Well, and there, there's, there's a new enemy right there that you could speak to in like creating content that's polarizing. Mm-hmm. Cause I get people in the comments that are like, that's not possible. You can't just heal from food. I'm like, oh, well, watch me. And also when you understand that your body is the most impressive technology we have and that your body has just created an environment for cancer to form. How does a hurricane form in the perfect conditions? How does a hurricane go away in the perfect conditions? You can create an environment for healing as well. And yes, there's many nuances and external factors, but you have the ability to influence the environment in your body.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um... And to your point, you just said, like, you had a lot of people get mad at you for what you shared when you post stuff. Like when you post something, are you, are you like, I, do you post things with the goal of this will make some people mad?
1: It's funny. I I've written about that of like, (laughs) when I write something, I hope it pisses someone off. And I don't actually like write that with like fury behind my keyboard. Like I was going to make someone mad, but I know when I'm posting it, that someone is going to get mad. And it really tests you for how strongly you believe in what you say, because yeah. I used to for sure be like, oh, like, post and like <laughs> win some, you know, flinch that someone's going to get mad for it. But now it's just like, I believe this so much. I have my own experience through cancer that I also, yes, I'm, I have all the, the stories and the data and the resources to be able to back up in case anyone has questions And then what's more important is the people that are like, can you help me? Like save the ones swimming toward, you heard that story about the the Coast Guard. Guard? Like, how do you know who to save? The ones swimming toward you. I don't need to waste time on the people that are arguing with me saying that's not possible. I can ignore those messages. I can maybe send them a link if they ask. I don't need to. Um, But the people that are like, I was just diagnosed. Can you help me? Or who's your doctor? I'd like to read. Like I, I will get on calls with people and just share anything that I can because people did that for me. I was about to have the surgeries. I was about to go down that path because I thought I was a victim and that that was the only choice I had until I started sharing my story. And, you know, you talk about like when you share, you never know who's listening that you could be supporting and you could change their life. But also when you share, people can reach out to you and give you answers that you didn't know we're out there. And that was that was my story when I started sharing. Um, Chris Wark, who wrote the book Crispy Cancer, he reached out. My doctor, who now f- I send to everyone and um is like I talked to her every I've never had a doctor that you can talk to every single day. Like she's so thorough and cares so much. And I'm like, thank God that I started sharing this so that I could go down this path. And now I get to share it with other
0: people too. Yeah. Amen. So powerful. Mm-hmm. Um Okay. So, wrapping up. Um thank you so much for being on the show. This has been so fun. We will we will have to do it again because I'd love to. There wasn't there was a lot that we didn't get to dive into, but last thing for those of you who are listening who want to learn more about Marley, she's on Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. You can also check out vipleadmachine.com. Do you want to tell them a little bit about what that is?
1: Yeah, we have a training there um that talks about how to scale your brand and even without having to put a ton of money into ads, when you create disruptive content, you, you know, your content can have its own legs and, uh, and grow your brand in a way that, um, you know, isn't status quo, just like we were saying. So I think it's like a seven minute training or something there. And, cool. uh, it's a good one. So go check it out.
0: Awesome. And that's VIP So, okay. Last question. Ask all of our, um, guests. This question is what does the fight against mediocrity mean to you?
1: gets get fired up there i think it's you know kind of what i was saying about the status quo we are allergic to status quo we state who the enemy is we fight against them and um and are just constantly finding that 10x going after impossible goals because not everyone is equipped to do that and i think that if we can be an example of that maybe it'll inspire other people to join that fight as well
0: amen okay awesome thank you so much marley
1: thank you Listen, I'ma get it, you know I be on the way